This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. One semester of law school. One semester of criminal justice. Two experts. I'm Kristen Caruso. I'm Brandi Egan. Let's go to court. On this episode, I'll talk about the Missouri Miracle. And I'll be talking about an old-timey kidnapping. Are you familiar with the Missouri Miracle? I am. So we have a theme. Yes. Should I be saying that or does it ruin stuff? I don't think it ruins anything. Okay. We have a theme. We do. We have a theme. It's a theme. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Brandy, how you doing? You know what? I'm doing pretty good. I've fully recovered, you know, mostly from... From last week's From, devastation? Yeah, last week was <laughs> extremely devastating. <laughs> um, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, we recorded the whole thing, then realized that Brandy's mic had cut out, and we had to record it all over again, back yes, to back. It was, was terrible. You can hear our voice sounds, our yes. voices sound scratchy in that one. Yeah, because we talked for over six hours. That's too long. <laughs> I took a vow of silence after that. <laughs> I am breaking it now. Hmm. Missouri Miracle, huh? Okay, here. Here's what I know. I know your case. I knew you would know. I mean, it's because I've started to cover it <gasps> multiple times. And I can't handle it. You can't? Nope. Brandy, you cover the most brutal, horrible stuff. Why can't you handle my I'll, case? I'll tell you when you cover it. Okay. Because I don't want to give anything away. Okay. But there's a part of it that I think is so dark that I can't. I can't even go there, Kristen. No. Patty, please bleep that. <laughs> all right. I'll quit guessing. Quit guessing. All right. All right. Now I'm so excited. Ooh, okay. I'm excited for you to cover it. Because I, just because I know that we cover cases so differently, you will cover it in a totally different way than I would have. So you might not even go into the thing that I can't handle about the case. Well, now I'm, you got me so freaking curious. Um, you're right. We do cover things very differently. We do, yeah. Um, I mean, if people haven't figured that out by now, I don't know. I mean, well, even it's like, like I'm about... respectful to victims and you're a jerk. No! <laughs> <laughs> no, think about the time that we showed up basically to do yes. the same case. Yes. And like you had miraculously pulled another case out of your ass in like five minutes. Yep. It was but, terrible. But yeah, we we had different things to offer about that about that same case. You know what sucked about that? What? Was you know, since you were at work that day and I was the only one who could like yeah. start my case over. Yeah. I listened to you tell it. It was Mary Kay Letourneau yeah. for Patreon <clears throat> plug. Yes. And you did a better job than I was. I did. <laughs> no, you did, you did. did you not. did. You did. <laughs> Randy, I'm a big enough man to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in case you're like, oh my, Patreon, oh my Patreon what's that? Where can I hear this Mary Kayla Turno episode? Which was so stressful because <laughs> we found out at like three o'clock that day that we, we were both, both covering the same, the same case. case. <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to listen to that, 
plus 23 other bonus right. episodes. That's at the $5 level on our Patreon. Woo! At that level, you also get into the Discord That's to right. chit and chat and chit and chat. And at the $7 level, you get all that plus a monthly Zoom call. Woo! Hanging out on the Zoom. No one's sick of that. And then you get... <laughs> You're not, that's not selling it, Kristen. I'm just saying, I think people in general are a little sick of Zoom. But, you know, when it's us. Yeah, it's for funsies. It's for funsies. because you want to be there. That's right. Yeah. Not because your stupid boss is making you. <laughs> uh, anyway, so at that level, you also get a sticker. You get a card with our lovely autographs. You get inducted into the podcast. I'm sorry, I forgot what word I was supposed to say. <laughs> you get in... Ducted. <laughs> Brandy, tell them what happens at the Bob Moss level, the $10 oh, level. Oh, my gosh. You get all that stuff that Kristen already mentioned. Mm-hmm. Plus, you get ad-free episodes, and you get them a, a day, day early. early. Plus, 10% off merch. Announcement time. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Breaking news. This just in. We have new merch. Ooh. Our hoodies are back in stock. Juvenile Bigfoot hoodies. They're super cute. Yes. And because we realized maybe not everyone wants to put on a hoodie right now. Yeah. In we've got. August. Is it August? It it's sure August. is. <laughs> Breaking news. Brandy knows what month it is. We have skeezy scunch tank tops. Ooh. And we also have mugs. Oh. And if. I tell you what. We always give our patrons a little heads up so that they can get the stuff first. We do yeah. super limited runs. Yes, very small runs in our pantyhose. I was, oh my God, <laughs> I was just about to say the same thing, but I stopped myself. Why are we so weird? We are really weird. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> lgtcpodcast.com, that's where the store is. And if we're out of stuff, it's then already gone. that means she we're gone. super rich now. No. And we're not going to talk to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, we will still do the podcast. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? If I was like, well, I sold 50 tank tops and I'm out. <laughs> Done. All right, shall we? Oh, uh, wait, no, shit, we, we, we got an ad. ad. We, we have, have an, to ad. Do an ad. Sorry, Kristen. I'm sorry. I'm so excited about the Missouri miracle. I almost forgot about how excited I am about. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. All right. Now tell us about a miracle. You don't seem excited to I hear am, about I'm the very miracle. Excited about mm-hmm. the miracle. Okay. I this is killing me. Should I wait until the end to find out what was the part that you couldn't handle? Well, I can tell you it now, and we can cut it. I know, but I'm wondering if I should wait with the listeners. I will wait with the listeners. Oh, yeah. Damn it! But I don't <laughs> want to. Okay. First of all, thank you to. Two raccoons in a trench coat for suggesting this case in our Discord. <laughs> and that's somebody's name, not <laughs> two raccoons in a trench coat. Raccoons love this story. <laughs> Shoutouts to Tim O'Neill, who did some excellent reporting in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. But boy, if his headline doesn't give the whole thing away, so, you know. Don't include that. Nope. 
Thanks, no. Tim. Also, many thanks to Wikipedia and the hugest of shout outs to Malcolm Gay, who wrote a very thorough article titled Monster Next Door? Question mark. It's almost as if you wrote the headline. <laughs> In the Riverfront Times. And although it is a great article, I am not going to let Malcolm off the hook for what is easily the bitchiest physical description of a person I have ever read. Oh, no! (laughs) Here? Okay, no shit. Here is how his article begins. With a six-foot-four-inch frame straining under roughly 300 pounds, much of it earned during nearly a quarter century's labor at a pizza shop, it's hard to imagine that Michael J. Devlin did not stand out. I hate that. Oh, uh, yeah. So fun fact, Malcolm did not win a Pulitzer for this story, but he did win a bronze medal for fat shaming. Yeah. And for that, exactly. we applaud him. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Anyway, I Okay. That stuff's kind of sprinkled throughout. It's a little weird. Yeah. A little weird. Okay. Also, I'm like, okay. Also so. Oh, spoiler alert, Patty, please bleep that, my God. No, here's the, here's the thing. Here's what I was thinking. As someone who lives in the great state of Missouri, yeah. um, a chubby man is not like, whoa! whoa! Oh, my God! <laughs> Let's all take what a gander! <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of like, okay, where's this reporter from yeah. that he's like scandalized? Anyway, yeah. all right, so here we go. So, what was Michael Devlin like, exactly? Well, it completely depended on who you asked. He lived in the great state of Missouri, Mm. as I've mentioned. Mm -hmm. Specifically, he lived in Kirkwood, Missouri, which is a suburb of St. Louis. And Michael was a manager at Emo's Pizza. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had Emo's Pizza? I have. What'd you think? I'm not a fan. Yeah. Here's why. Why? They use provolone instead of mozzarella. That's St. Louis-style pizza. Hmm. Not good? That's not for me. I mean, I think a lot of people like it. Okay, okay. Well, I mean... Emos did not do well in Kansas City. They they have one in Midtown. Oh, there's still one here? And every time we pass it, Norm goes, that place is gross. I don't like their pizza. Yeah. <laughs> so I've not had the pleasure. Yes. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that Emo's Pizza sells original St. Louis-style pizza. <laughs> Clearly, I don't. <laughs> or that they are the 32nd largest pizza chain in the United States. So why don't you suck on that, Salvatore's Old Fashioned Pizzeria? Was oh, that number 33? <laughs> no, they're like 50-something. But I wanted to find like a name that seemed a little dignified to tell suck it to. You know, you know what right. I'm saying. <laughs> Poor Salvatore's. <laughs> so, yeah, Michael was pretty much killing it. He'd been working at Emo's for like 25 years, and his boss thought he was awesome. Because Michael was very well-versed on the latest news. And that's an important quality in the manager of a pizzeria. Mm-hmm. Also in your hairstylist. <laughs> I mean, I don't like that you're selling this like that's a negative thing about him. I like to be well-versed in the current events as well. Quit saying stuff. Sorry. 
<laughs> Hearing that this article was titled Monster Next Door didn't give it oh, away. Oh, I think because there was because there was a question mark. They're like, like is, is this a good a guy? Is he a monster? I don't know. Or are they? Did people think he was a monster because he had the audacity to be six four and three hundred pounds? His body strained under it. <laughs> <laughs> so he knew the news, and that's a terrible quality in a person. <laughs> So Michael was so well-spoken. He could talk about any subject. Hmm. I hate people like that. Shut up. (laughs) I do. Because I think it's fake. I think they're just talking out their asses. No one knows something about everything, right? There's stuff I don't know. Well, yeah, no shit. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Are you feeling personally attacked? I am. You are, aren't you? I'm defensive here. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I don't know. Okay. Because I, too, can talk about a lot of subjects. <laughs> he did super awesome, personable things like shaking customers' hands and cracking jokes. Okay. I don't know if it's just the COVID talking. Mm-hmm. But when I go into a restaurant, I don't want anyone shaking no, my I'm hand. Shaking anybody's hand. No. No, no. thank you. Uh, Pre-COVID, too. Yeah. Are you feeling a little less attacked because we finally found something that you don't do? (laughs) In the evenings when Michael wasn't managing the pizza shop, he answered phones at Bop Chapel Funeral Home. No. So he stayed busy. But in his free time, the author of the Riverfront Times article would like you to know that even though Michael was a smoker who didn't play sports, he occasionally told his co-workers that he spent his day off painting rooms at his mother's house or rollerblading hmm. which we all know can't possibly be true because if you're a fat smoker the paintbrush just falls right out of your hand <laughs> seriously it was a yeah. little weird it just had and maybe someone else would read this and not not find this stuff so maybe i'm just being a little weird but i thought there was a little tinge of hmm. yeah yeah like, like, I don't know. I find it perfectly reasonable that he could have been painting rooms and rollerblading. <laughs> but then, in 2002, Michael was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And it was a huge bummer. He lost a couple toes, which made rollerblading damn near impossible. And he became quieter and more withdrawn. Plus, his friends all started getting married and wanting to hang out with their spouses. <laughs> Which meant that hardly anyone could show up for his poker games. So Michael was sad. It seemed all he wanted to do was like, you know, drink Mountain Dew all day. Which he did, like a champ. During his day job, he had the soda fountain right there and he just drank Mountain Dew. Talked about the news, shook people's hands all the live long day. (laughs) One of his coworkers thought he was a complete dick. And that is a quote. Excellent. (laughs) But that was just one person's opinion. You know, most people at work thought Michael was a pretty good guy. But that mindset really didn't carry over to Michael's apartment complex. His neighbors thought he was weird. And if they didn't think he was weird, they thought he was just plain rude. Michael lived in a cheap apartment building and people tended to move in and out a lot. But not him. Michael had lived in his ground floor unit for several years. And he did not talk to his neighbors. And they did not talk to him. Mm. Are you feeling attacked again? Do you talk to your neighbors, Brandon? I'm, I'm friendly to my neighbors. 
Hmm. You know, I just do, I don't really talk to them, but you do the wave thing. You do the wave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hello, you're a human. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was not nodding. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm. A, you know, I'm a smiler. So you are a smiler. Yes. I am a smiler to a fault. It will get somebody to walk over and talk to me when that's not at all what I was trying to do. You need to do the default frown. Yeah, I can't do that. I do not possess the RBF. Well, I have like the opposite. Where if I'm like accidentally make eye contact with someone, I immediately smile instead of doing the thing. So that they know you don't want to kill them or something? I don't know. Okay. All right. All right. So no one really bothered him at the apartment complex. But he sure bothered them. One time at like two in the morning, Michael got home and saw that someone had taken his parking spot. Hmm. Did they have assigned parking? You know what? I assumed they did. <laughs> I assumed they did. Yeah. Okay. So what did he do about this? He probably went and found whoever was in his spot and knocked on their door at 2 a.m. and demanded that they move. Believe it or not, that's actually a much more chill response than well, what he did. What did he do? At 2 in the morning. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. Did he lay on his horn at yes! 2 in the morning? Yes! Yes! <laughs> Yeah, so finally one of the neighbors got up and was like, look, dude, I need my beauty sleep. I'm going to kick your ass if you don't stop honking that horn. And Michael liked his ass just the way it was, unkicked. So he got scared and he just took off down the road. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Another time, the exact same thing happened. Someone parked in Michael's parking space. And like a really chill dude, Michael... Called nine one one. Can you imagine? Nine one one. What's your emergency? Oh, oh! Please come quickly! Oh, someone has taken my parking spot. They stole it in broad daylight. So officers came out and they talked to Michael and they talked to Michael's son, Sean. And the person who parked in the parking space was arrested and promptly executed because that's what happens when you take someone's parking that's space. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But we're not here to discuss that very mm-hmm. real court case. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's keep talking about Michael. By the way, you made a face. What's wrong? Mm-hmm. Talk to his son, Sean, huh? Yeah. Mm. He has a son? Sure does. Mm. Okay. Depends on who you ask. Um, Is it uh, a godson, family friend, son? You know, just yeah. don't worry about it, mm. okay? Okay. So everyone in his apartment complex thought he was a rude, loner weirdo. And they thought his son, Sean, seemed so sad. One neighbor said she never saw him smile. The boy kept to himself. He was homeschooled apparently. And he was 100% Michael Devlin's kid, so don't worry about it. Just shut up, okay? Okay, sure thing. Anyway, let me tell you a totally unrelated story about about the time a kid named Sean went missing. That's exactly (laughs) right, yes. It was Monday, October 7th, 2002, and 11-year-old Sean Hornbeck was missing. He'd last been seen riding his bike at around 4.30 the previous day. He was riding to a friend's house. It was a route he did all the time. Mm -hmm. Sean lived with his parents, Pam and Craig Akers, in Richwoods, Missouri, which is a very rural, unincorporated community, like about an hour outside St. Louis, Mm -hmm. I think. 
So as soon as word got out that Sean was missing, the community just pulled together and started searching for him. But it was really tough. This area used to be a mining community, so there were abandoned mine shafts everywhere. There were sinkholes everywhere. And a bunch of people were like, oh, my God, did this kid fall down one of these things? Yeah. Yeah, What are we going to do? So they just searched and searched and searched, but no one could find him. They couldn't even find his bike or, like, a scrap of his clothing. He had vanished without a trace. Mm -hmm. Eventually, once they'd searched all over the place— on bike and by foot and by car and by ATV, police started to wonder if Sean had been abducted. Sean's mom, Pam, and his stepdad, Craig, went all out trying to find Sean. When the search for him stalled out, they set up the Sean Hornbeck Foundation to help look for missing and abducted children. They spent, like, all of their money and emptied their retirement accounts to pay for private investigators to help the police. Wow. But nothing seemed to help. No amount of money, and it seemed no amount of work, could get them anywhere. Mm -hmm. Sean was gone, probably dead. At one point, Pam and Craig went on the Montel Williams show to help bring publicity to the case. And on the show, a psychic gave them the sad news that their son was dead. Sylvia Brown? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Do you really? Yes. Yeah. I got to say, there are a lot of fucked up parts of this story. Yeah. That is so fucked up. Yeah. Yeah, it's super fucked up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you watched the show? Yeah. I remember the episode of Montel. What do you yes. remember about it? J- just that. I mean, we used to watch a lot of Montel when I was a kid. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. We'd get on the phone and talk about yeah. the episodes together. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I do. I specifically remember that episode. Well, that's a great story. All right. And I'm sorry. There, I can offer you no more details. <laughs> Years passed. But Pam and Craig never gave up hope. They never stopped searching for Sean. Even when it seemed obvious that he had to be dead, they kept searching. And, you know, they were right. Sean wasn't dead. Mm-mm. On the day he went missing, Sean was riding his bike to his friend's house, and a man came up behind him in a truck. And the man ran his truck into Sean, knocking him off the bike. And the man jumped out of the truck and was like, oh, no, are you okay? But then that man, Michael Devlin, Mm -hmm. put Sean in the back of his truck and said, you were just at the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, I hate that. Mm-hmm. Michael took Sean back to his apartment and tied him up. He kept 11-year-old Sean tied up for an entire month. At one point, he began strangling Sean, but Sean got a few words out, and he promised Michael he'd never tell anyone what he'd done. It was a promise that Sean made in an attempt to survive— And it worked. Mm -hmm. Over the next few years, Michael did horrible things to Sean, including, of course, sexual abuse, and would at times limit Sean's sleep by waking him up every 45 minutes. Oh, my gosh. He told people that he was Sean's father or sometimes his godfather, sometimes a family friend. But it didn't matter because no one recognized Sean. 
Okay, so slight pause here. The thing that overwhelmingly seems like the hardest part of this to understand for people Mm -hmm. is that over time, Michael gave Sean quite a bit of freedom. Yeah, but he was conditioned. Exactly. And so I'm going to go through this, but I think you and I are going to land in the exact same place on this. I'm just going to say this stuff. Sometimes Sean was allowed to drive Michael's truck. He was allowed to ride his bike. Sean had a friend who slept over sometimes, and when he got older, he even got a girlfriend and went with her to a school dance. Michael also gave Sean a cell phone and internet access. At one point, Sean found the website that his parents had set up to help find him. And on the message board, he wrote, How long are you going to look for your son? And he signed his name, Sean Devlin. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Yeah. His parents, uh, years later, remembered that Saying message. That? Mm-hmm. Oh. They said, you know, obviously you get a lot of weird messages. Of course. Um, and that one stuck out as a little weird just because they had always been so adamant. We will always mm-hmm. look for our son. Yeah. So Sean had some freedoms. And he had also had contact with the police. The police spoke to him briefly when Michael called the cops about that freaking parking spot. And at some point, someone stole Sean's bike, so he called the police and reported the theft. But again, he told them his name was Sean Devlin. So just like you were saying, it could be that he was conditioned. I think it's very likely he was terrified to do – I mean – Someone just snatches you up in broad daylight and you're 11. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to do what you need to do to survive. Absolutely. And um, another source said that he, Sean believed that if he were to try anything, that Michael would harm his family. Absolutely. Yeah, if this guy has done all this stuff to you, why not kill your family too? That doesn't seem far-fetched at all. Not at all. So, you know, other people think maybe Stockholm Syndrome. But in this article for the Riverfront Times, I think the Washington County Sheriff put it really well. So I'm just going to read his quote. Mm -hmm. This is something that is so bizarre that the normal individual cannot grasp what this then 11-year-old boy went through. There is no way that anybody can project onto Sean what he could have, should have, or would have done. Nobody knows. Nobody was in that situation. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. 100%. Yeah. By this point, Sean had been missing for four and a half years. What? I would even go so far as to say there's a very real possibility that he felt some attachment Mm -hmm. to Michael Devlin Mm -hmm. after all that he had put him through. And yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't think any of that is far fetched. I don't think so either. Okay. Yeah, people people online are very like, Whoa! and yeah. no, I think I think you do what you have to do to survive. Absolutely. And we don't need to be sitting from our high horses saying, Oh well, I would have done it this now, way. I can't believe he didn't call his parents the second he got that cell phone. I know what I would have done. I just drove in straight drove in. <laughs> These people were imitating. Yeah, they don't right. know. Karen doesn't know <laughs> proper grammar. 
But she does know what she would do if she'd just been 11 drive, she would have and just, kidnapped. She would have just got on her bike and gone straight to that police department mm-hmm. and said, Hi, I'm that missing Sean Hornbeck. Please take me home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, fuck those people. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like I said, by this point, he had been kidnapped for four and a half years. Yeah. And truth be told, get ready to puke. Sean was officially getting too old for Michael. That's the part. That's the part that you That's can't handle. That's the part that I cannot handle. It's so dark. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that he aged out. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was with him for so long. Yeah. 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 So on that disgusting note, Mm -hmm. let's talk about what happened on Monday, January 8th, 2007. That day, Michael went into work at Emo's and as per usual, he was like, oh, oh, oh. I'm feeling sick. Oh, let me have some more Mountain Dew, the healing nectar of the gods. Oh, <laughs> no, it's making me worse. Tickle your innards. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think this was the first red flag about this guy. Anybody who drinks that, that amount much of Mountain, Mountain Dew? Dew. Yep. There's something really wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Michael's just like, oh, 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 my life's so hard. Oh, no, tummy trouble. And his boss was like, oh, my gosh, okay, tell you what. How about you help me get through the lunch rush, and then you can get out of here early. And Michael was like, oh, I guess it's fine. And he powered through the lunch rush like a true hero. And then Michael left work a little before one because he was super sick and definitely not faking it. But they call this case the Missouri Miracle because when Michael got home that day, he felt better right away. <laughs> it was Miracles a miracle. happen. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. There can be miracles when you believe. <laughs> you leave the emos <laughs> and lay down on your couch. <laughs> So since he was feeling better, uh, he went out and searched for another boy to abduct. Yep. You know how that goes. Yeah. You're like, man, I thought I felt like poo-poo butter, but turns out I want to go abduct a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Oh, the story's terrible. <laughs> this is the worst kid ever. <laughs> so he got into his rusty white pickup truck and he drove out to Beaufort, Missouri. Mm-hmm which I'm assuming is pronounced the same way as Beaufort, South Carolina. I I don't know. I've been to Beaufort. Missouri? South Carolina. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Beaufort is an unincorporated area about an hour southwest of St. Louis. You sense in a theme, kind of like about a 60-mile radius. Yep. Mm -hmm. And here's what I couldn't figure out. If this was just luck or if he had planned this out a little bit, but... Michael spotted a school bus. Mm -hmm. He waited for the bus to stop, and 13-year-old Ben Ownby got off and headed down the gravel road to his house. Mm -hmm. Ben was literally 500 feet from home when he was abducted. That's terrifying. Yeah. And he was 13. Like, you don't... You don't worry about a 13-year-old getting really on and don't. off the school bus. That's a good like, point. Yeah. Okay, and 
this is, I don't know if there's a way to say this without sounding a little weird. But initially when I'd read the stuff about like Sean had aged out, mm-hmm. but then he goes and picks up a 13-year-old. I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. It's but when you see pictures, yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of one of those weird things about that age where, mm-hmm. you know, some kids yeah. just look way older some kids look exactly their age and there's always some kids who look much much younger and i think ben just looked much younger does that sound gross i mean this whole story the whole story's terrible okay yes all right i don't think it's any grosser than any other patty bleep this entire episode (laughs) (laughs) and i think you can all see why i have started this case multiple times i've been like no, I cannot do it. <laughs> Honestly, I can't see why because you have covered so many terrible things. To me, this is like on par with all the other terrible things you've covered. <laughs> see, it's such a different, I don't know, it's a different side of it to me. And I. Well, you know what? I go hard after the Mountain Dew. That's right. And the handshaking. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to do a real light touch with uh, yeah. all the, the gross stuff. The sexual abuse, yeah. Yeah. Although I would argue that drinking that much Mountain Dew is gross stuff. That is gross stuff. And probably should be censored from this podcast. <laughs> Unless it's Mountain Dew Code Red. I, You know, I love Mountain Dew Code Red. Okay. And you know what I love? What do you love? Mountain Dew Baja Blast Zero, <laughs> which they now have in cans in the grocery store. Is this an ad? This used to be a Taco Bell exclusive. <laughs> We've talked about this before. Yes, we have. It is now in 12 packs at your local grocery store. There's one in my fridge right now. Use the promo code LGTC. Just shout LGTC at the grocery store checkout person. They'll know. They'll know what to do. They'll start clickety-clacking away. You'll get that discount, no problem. So anyway, Ben was abducted 500 feet from his home. And when he didn't come home, obviously his family freaked out. They called the police and the police investigated and determined that Ben hadn't been talking to any Internet weirdos. His home life was good. His school life was good. He got straight A's. He was a science Olympiad. Um, He was a Boy Scout. So probably not a runaway. Mm -hmm. So he had to have been the victim of foul play. But... No one had any idea where Ben Ownby was. They didn't have a clue. But finally, a 15-year-old kid named Mitchell Holtz came forward and was like, hey, I might have seen something. Okay, so here's the deal. Mm -hmm. Mitchell had gotten off the bus right after Ben. I've got goosebumps. Holy shit. Okay, and the thing about Mitchell is Mitchell loves trucks. Like, freaking loves trucks. So when he got off the bus, he spotted an old white Nissan pickup. It had a camper shell on the back, and it was dirty, and it was rusted. He hadn't seen Ben get into the truck. He hadn't hadn't even seen who was driving the truck. But he had seen a truck, and he was able to describe it very well. Wow. So some sources were a little fuzzy on this. Um But overall, it really seems like he did not see Ben get into the truck. Mm -hmm. So investigators were like, well, you know, 
if that's, that's all we than, have, that's more that's than, all than we have. nothing we have. Yeah. So Franklin County Sheriff Gary Tolkey went to the media and he was like, hey, everybody be on the lookout for a shitty old white pickup truck. And that's a direct quote because yeah. he was a little inappropriate, you know? <laughs> So the news went out far and wide, and soon everyone was taking a closer look at their local shitty white pickup trucks. By the way, here's a cute story. Ready for a cute story? Yeah. Okay. Back at Emo's Pizza in Kirkwood, the gang at the pizza joint started teasing Michael because he drove a truck just like the one they were describing on the news. Oh my gosh, isn't that funny? And he'd gotten off early the day of the kidnapping and taken a sick day the day after the kidnapping. <laughs> Nobody put that together. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, they don't have the sense to put mozzarella on a pizza. That's so, right. So, I mean, so. what what are we expecting, really? <laughs> yeah, so Michael's coworkers were like, ha, 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 you aren't the creep, are you? And Michael was like, ha, ha, no. <laughs> And they were like, we love it here. We're like a family here. We work hard and we play hard. Oh, the stories we could tell. This place is like a sitcom. Oh, my God. It might be a slight exaggeration. I just got so pissed off when I was like, really? Really? Yeah, you guys put all that together but didn't take like any... You're like an hour away from where the kidnapping happened. Yeah. There's a creepy guy who... Uh, I'm sorry. Has the exact same car. Yeah. Okay, uh, <sighs> anyway, so a while later, after Michael was done giggling with his coworkers about the fact that his vehicle matched the description of a kidnapper's, the police were called out to Michael's apartment complex. They were called out on something totally unrelated what? to the kidnapping. <laughs> We can only assume that someone parked in someone else's space because that's what you do. Yeah. You call 911. That's right. Drop everything. Call 911. Someone's in my parking spot. That's why 911 was set up. No. <laughs> is, did, nobody listened to this. This is <laughs> terrible advice Kristen's giving you. So these two officers were at the apartment complex. I think somebody had a warrant out, so they were just going to go do that. And once they were done with that, one of them stopped cold. And saw the truck? Yes. <gasps> Okay. Okay, so picture this. So he spotted Michael's 1991 white rusted pickup truck with a camper shell on the back, and the officer turned to his partner and said, are you seeing what I'm seeing? And around that same time, as they were looking at the truck, a neighbor came by and was like, hey, uh, yeah, that truck matches the one from the news. And just so you know, the guy who owns that truck is a big weirdo, and he lives in apartment D right there. Okay, bye. So that person yeah. is also a hero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, in a weird twist, Michael just happened to walk out of his apartment to take some trash to the dumpster, and the officers were like, holy shit, that's the pizza guy! Because the Emo's Pizza was, like, right by the police station, and they were frequent flyers. So they approached him, real casual, and Michael was his normal chatty self. You know, he, like all terrible people, is well cu- caught up on his news. <laughs> what else makes you similar to him? Do you rollerblade? <laughs> yes, I rollerblade. Oh, I wish rollerblading would come back. It's so I fun. N- I clearly do not rollerblade. Clearly do not rollerblade? No, I, I don't. I, I do not 
have the balance to rollerblade. Well, neither do and I. I. It would be a disaster. I work with my hands, so it would be a real recipe for disaster. <laughs> what is? Oh my god! I'm picturing the headline: Hairstylist career cut short by rollerblading. Cut accident. short. Very good. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> I used to write headlines. <laughs> Let's see. What else? <laughs> what else can we? <laughs> Shit! Now you got me thinking. About oh no! Hmm. All right. Well, I was never very good at writing headlines. I, don't, I think you peaked. I think that was uh, perfect. probably that was probably my only good headline <laughs> I've ever written. Okay. So they go up to Michael. He's like chit chatting. You know, Michael always shaking hands and cracking jokes. But then the officers started to ask rude questions like hey what's the deal with your truck or hey you have any young boys in your apartment mm-hmm. hey could we look inside your apartment and hey are you a big creepy kidnapper and michael was very offended he was like no you can't come in here one of the officers later told our lord and savior miss oprah winfrey <laughs> he got all squirrely on me i was like something ain't right <laughs> <laughs> So Michael was telling them they couldn't come in, but, you know, he couldn't stop them from peeping in the windows. And when they did, they spotted a boy. But the boy didn't match Ben's description. No, because Sean Hornbeck Mm -hmm. has been missing for four and a half half years. years. Yeah. But they were still suspicious enough that they called in the Franklin County Police and the Highway Patrol and somehow got the FBI involved. Though I'm not sure how because none of the articles mentioned the mayor being involved. I was going to say, yeah, they call the mayor? Big mystery. Yeah. I mean, clearly, they're missing parts of these articles, yes, obviously. obviously. Good Lord. So soon, all kinds of officers were all over Michael's apartment complex. And they were like... Can we come in? And he was like, no. (laughs) And then, you know, another group would, how about us? And he'd like, no. (laughs) And all the little officers in all their little uniforms were like, oh. So it's like that, huh? And then they just sat outside his apartment all night. (laughs) What? Yeah. They were like, yeah, we know this guy's real creepy. I think by this point they were like, "Mm, that other boy, oh, shit. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, you know, they're there all night. Mm-hmm. Did they pee in bottles? What kind of snacks did they have? Did any of them get to fall asleep while someone else took the first watch? These are the questions that none of the articles bothered to answer. I know, and they are the questions that I want to know the answers to. Yeah. This is when we need a Texas Monthly article. Mm-hmm. Texas Monthly, they, t- they don't care about the all word that. count. They do Fine. not. We'll do 50,000 words yes. on this Yes. <laughs> The next morning, Michael got up to go to work. And a whole mess of investigators followed him to Emo's. They stopped him in the parking lot, and they asked him about Ben Ownby. And then, right there, in the freaking pizzeria parking lot, Michael confessed. What? I know! Right? He did? He told them he'd taken Ben Ownby. And said, I'm a bad person. And Brandy, I'm a bad person because I just burped and it smells really bad. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I'm a bad person sounds like a bit of an understatement. (sighs) You know what he should have said? (laughs) What? 
I've done a bad thing <laughs> because he'd been listening to Brene Brown. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to deal with the shame of all this. I'm not a bad person. I've just done it's a bad, bad thing. thing. And then everyone, including Brene Brown, is like, no, no you're, you're a bad, bad person. person. <laughs> anyway, I believe he left out one minor detail, which was that he'd also kidnapped another boy who was back at his apartment. But, you know, at any rate, investigators were now able to search the apartment. And when they did, they found Ben and they found Sean. And this time, unlike all the other times when Sean referred to himself as Sean Devlin, Sean told the officers that he was Sean Hornbeck. He was the boy who'd been missing for four and a half years. This was mind-blowing. Soon word got out, and people began referring to this as the Missouri Miracle. How incredible that Ben Ombry had been found and that Sean Hornbeck had been found at the same time and that he was alive. Yeah. This, this is crazy. Ben's family was overjoyed and Sean's family, who had never given up hope, finally had their boy back. And none of this would have been possible without the help of 15-year-old Mitchell Holtz, who'd given such an accurate description of Michael's truck. I've got goosebumps. Yeah. That is same. wild. Oh. So even though Mitchell was only 15, they just gave him a truck as a thank you for being awesome. They did? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the whole community was like, you know what, kid? Uh, if if you really love trucks that much, Here's here you go. You'll be 16 soon enough. That's right. Meanwhile, authorities locked up Michael Devlin real quick. His bond in Franklin County was $1 million cash. Oh, wow. Have you? I, I don't think I've ever heard that. Mm-mm. His bond in Washington County was $3 million. Both counties charged him with kidnapping, and the kidnapping of Sean Hornbeck came with additional charges because he'd used a gun. Naturally. Oh, and here's when the story gets really sad. This was a very hard time for Michael. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, I know. Fuck off to everyone who doesn't feel for Michael, right? See, first he lost his toes, and now this. Mm. In a jailhouse interview, he told the media, I don't know how I'm going to explain myself to my parents. It's much easier talking to a stranger about these things than your own parents. He also... What? 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 I don't know how I'm going to explain this to my parents. Yeah, like, you raped kids. Yeah. You kidnapped kids. And the thing that you're real caught up on is, how do I tell my parents? Holy shit. Um, He also complained because none of his family had visited him. Oh. And he had a very large family. So that, you know, that didn't make sense. Okay. Also, the jail was boring and it was noisy at night. So he was having trouble sleeping. I do feel real bad for him. Oh, yeah. You know, we've all had those restless nights and that's that's no good. Mm-hmm. Then he told the reporter that he loved video games and poker and wasn't that into sex. Uh, I'm going to disagree there. No, it's true. Not into sex, but super into rape. You're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. Yes. You're absolutely right. Consenting adults? Ew! Don't make me vomit! (sighs) Unwilling children? Oh, sign me up. Oh, except for no, because Michael apparently wasn't into kidnapping little boys either, because he pled not guilty. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's... 
Dude, they were in your apartment. Your apartment. And you confessed already in the emo's pizza parking lot. That's actually a confessional for the police. (laughs) (laughs) The prosecution was unamused. And I'm not talking about the prosecutors for Washington County or Franklin County where the abductions occurred. I'm talking about the St. Louis County prosecutor. Because just a few weeks later, he was like, hmm, you know what? I'm charging you with 71 new felonies. We're just going to stack those on top of your existing charges, and you're going to hate it, you whiny little beaver, because each of these new charges carry the possibility of life in prison. Good. Lock him up forever. But, Brandy, that jail is boring. I don't fucking care. And sometimes he can't get a full eight hours. Okay? Okay. He conditioned Sean Hornbeck by waking him up every 45 minutes. Yep. He's a piece of shit through and through. By the way, I'm... I'm a little weird here about the charges and, like, there's, you know, the number of charges for what he did to Ben, for what he did to Sean. And, you know, it's all just gross stuff. So, yeah, let's just leave it at that. Yeah, a whole bunch stuff. of gross stuff. That's, that's as detailed as we need to be. Things were not looking good for Michael Devlin, a.k.a. the world's biggest creep. And that interview he gave where he complained about not sleeping well and how he'd just been lonely because his friends had gotten married and moved away, well, that really sucked for the defense's already shitty case. Yeah. Oh, God. Can you imagine trying to defend this guy? It would be It would be hell. Impossible. Yeah. You'd be like, dude, come on. Yeah. What angle do you even take? You take the plea deal angle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if they'll give it to you. Yeah. So Michael's defense attorneys, Ethan... Is it Corleja or Corleja? I don't know. And Michael Kelty were like, hey, judge, can we get a gag order against the New York Post? That was the outlet he did the interview with. Mm-hmm. We'd really like it if they'd shut up. Also, can you force that reporter to turn over all her notes to us? And Judge David Tobin was like, nice try. Go home. No. Mm-hmm. But I'll ask you, Brandy, does it sound like we're done with the charges? I don't know. Oh, we are not. Okay, there's more. But wait, there's more. (laughs) (laughs) On the 1st of March, Michael got some new federal charges for producing child porn and transporting a minor across state lines to engage in sexual activity. Excellent. And the following month, the prosecutor for Washington County was like, no fair, I want to add some more charges. And everyone was like, have at it. We hate this guy. So he added a charge for attempted murder of Sean Hornbeck and a bunch of other stuff. Then things were quiet for a while. And I imagine Michael and his poor defense attorneys were getting sweatier by the minute. I assume he had public defenders. Yeah. And finally, on October 6th, the gaggle of prosecutors was like, Guess what? The shitbag is pleading guilty to all charges in all four jurisdictions. You'd have to. You'd have to. You wouldn't have to. You could. Here's the thing. You could drag it out. You could make the victims. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it. yeah, I guess that's right. You yeah. absolutely could make the victims have to testify against you in separate trials. I mean, that yeah, just be, be terrible. Yeah. 
Over the next few days, they held a guilty plea parade. They took him to one county, and he was like, guilty. And they took him to another place, and he was like, guilty. And they took him to another, and on and on it went with this shitbag collecting sentence after sentence after sentence, to the point that just three days after the prosecutors announced he would plead guilty, Michael Devlin had been ordered to spend the next 1,850 years in prison. I think that'll cover it. (laughs) (laughs) But wait, there's more! What?! A few months later, he was sentenced to another 170 years for child pornography. Wow. To put it another way, he is currently serving 71 life sentences. Wow. And after that, they shipped Michael off to prison in Cameron, Missouri, which is a hellish place to be, even if you're not in their prison. (laughs) You ever been to Cameron? I think I have. Have you really? Yeah, I think so. What on earth for? I just went through it. Not like I hung out in Cameron, Missouri. Okay. Yeah. That's where my grandpa was held at the VA home when he had Alzheimer's. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. And you know, okay, that was during the Hillary Trump election. Uh Uh-huh. People love it when I talk about Trump. It's fine. And I remember at that time in Kansas City, it was only Hillary signs. Yeah. And like one super old guy in our neighborhood had a Trump sign. And it's like, okay, well, that guy's 90. He's a 90-year-old white guy. Of yeah. course he has one. Yeah. Went out to Cameron. Just Trump as far Trump as the eye can country. see. And I was like, yes. wow, would you look at this? This is weird. But then, you know, Trump won the election. So it was like, I guess I'm weird. I don't know. <laughs> They do have nice antique stores. Anyway, that's that's my story on Cameron, Missouri. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so prison officials were a little concerned about their ability to keep Michael safe. Mm-hmm. There was talk of maybe sending him to an out-of-state prison or giving him a new name. But once Sean and Ben's family members heard about that, they were like, uh, no, he's fine. We will fine. not be protecting him. Yeah, yeah, he abducted and raped little boys so he can stay here in the great state of Missouri and he can keep his real name. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. But, um, boy, you look bummed out. Are you okay? I'm fine. <laughs> okay, well... Here's the thing about being a child molester in prison. Yeah, you don't do well. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) one day a guy named Troy Fenton, who was also an inmate at the prison in Cameron, uh, took the metal guide bars off of his typewriter and he sharpened them and hid them under his pillow. Uh, He named one of the weapons Sean and the other one Ben. And then on April 9th, 2011, during breakfast, Troy walked up to Michael and gave him the old stabby stabby. Really? Yeah. And the corrections officers saw it and they were like, hey, stop. And so Troy stopped. He dropped to the ground and Michael just had superficial wounds. So he's fine. And who cares? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of disappointing if I'm being completely (laughs) honest. Should I not have said that? Um. Yeah, I don't give a shit. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I've said many times I'm against the death penalty, but that's really more because I'm worried about. Yeah, the typical people who are put to death about how. Yeah. Yeah. About like how race is involved. Yes, class exactly. is involved. But in a situation where we're 100 percent sure we've got someone this who did something 100 percent terrible. Boys. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. 
you know, maybe I don't, be I don't think I don't think the state should be putting anybody to death. But I'm not going to be like, oh no, oh no, no. stabbed in the chow not, line. Not Michael. Everyone's best friend, Michael. Yeah. Mm-mm. You know, I hear he was up to date on all the news. <laughs> He's so, probably great at trivia. It's fine. You know what his real name is? Brandy Egan. Stop it. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be some stupid joke. <laughs> and I was correct. <laughs> I have been amazed at how defensive <laughs> you are. <laughs> so this case is kind of old at this point, but it recently came back into the news. Did you do you remember this? No. Okay. In December of 2020, a guy named Kevin Palmer, who lives in Canada, and he was volunteering at a nonprofit that works to prevent human trafficking. He was on the YouTubes and watching videos about kids who'd been abducted. And he came across the story about Sean and Ben. And he started watching the video. And as soon as it cut to a shot of Michael Devlin, he was like, holy shit, that's him. Okay, way back in the day, Kevin's dad had married his stepmom, and his stepmom was from Robinson, Illinois, which I think is like two and a half hours outside St. Louis. So in December of 1998, when Kevin was 14, he says he was walking back from a video rental store, duh, Blockbuster, Blockbuster. right? Hollywood video? Could have been. Could have been. Video library. Family video. Oh, there's so many choices. Probably still a blockbuster. Yeah. When an ugly guy in a pickup truck, that's his word, not mine, but I do agree, pulled up next to him and offered him a ride. And Kevin was like, no thanks. And the dude got pissed. And he said, nah, boy, just get in the truck. And Kevin bolted back home, filed a police report. Obviously nothing ever yeah. came of it. But he says he never forgot the man's ugly face. And when he saw that video, he recognized Michael Devlin as the guy who tried to abduct him 22 years earlier. Holy shit. He's now asking the FBI to bring additional charges against Michael. Personally, I'm like, we got him. You know, like that's not a good enough case. Right. But anyway. I don't doubt that that I, happened. I completely believe it happened. I don't doubt that there are probably a ton well, that's of just people. It. That's exactly what I was going to say. The, you don't have that much, pardon the word, success yeah. with your first kidnapping attempt. No. I, I, don't, I don't think that. I, yeah. yeah. I totally think Ben and Sean are not the only victims. Yes. And I think there are a lot of people who had probably a lot of close calls. Yeah. So there's another case, I didn't write this part down, of um, a boy who, this sounds very similar to Ben and Sean. I believe he was on his bike. He was kind mm-hmm. of around that age. I think it was 1991. Mm-hmm. And he's never been found. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, there's probably a, a victim who did not live. Yeah. Don't you imagine? Oh, of course. Multiple victims probably that did not live. Yeah. <sighs> Well, that case is fucking terrible. I'm not done with it. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Okay, keep going. Great. Let's have more of this shit bag. (laughs) Did you say more of this comma shit bag? Like calling me (laughs) shit? No. (laughs) Although now I wish I had. (laughs) So, Ben, I don't think he's talked to the media since Mm -hmm. then. And, you know, who can blame him? 
Um, but Sean has yeah. once. Do you know this one, too? Yes. Okay. Well, good Lord. Do you know everything? <laughs> no, I don't. There was you're, a lot of stuff I didn't know. You're very well read. Mm-hmm. So I like know to keep up on the news. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Mountain Dew? Mm. Well, you, we know how you feel about Mountain Dew because you got all excited. Baja Blast Zero. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. uh-huh. Regular Mountain Dew, not my thing. You ever painted your mom's house? That sounded like a weird euphemism. I'm sorry. Anyway, let's move on. So it was 2017, 10 years after he was rescued and right around the time that the women in Cleveland mm-hmm. were rescued. And I really liked the job he did in this interview. He just, he said, he seemed joyful is not quite the word for it, but very happy for them because he yeah. said, you know, it reminds me of when I was rescued. He said that he has had to accept what happened to him and that he's been able to do that thanks to the strength of his family and at the end of the interview he shared advice for other kids who were in the situation he was in which again I'm getting goosebumps and he said stay strong and don't give up hope and it just makes me wonder how many people are in that situation more than we could have any idea I bet yeah and that's the story of the Missouri miracle Mm mm-hmm Oh. <laughs> oh, good. People will love that. That's the sound of a balloon, a balloon. <laughs> losing its air. You did a very good job with that. That Thanks. case is terrible. It is terrible. Yes. And yeah, there's something to me about the idea that the only reason... Sean was rescued is because he aged out. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. I just had another dark thought. What? Well, it's like, what if he had killed him? Well, I after years okay, of abuse. But don't you think that's probably the cycle that has happened before? Yes, absolutely. And but that's Honestly, not until this very moment has it occurred to me that that could be happening of like they take someone's kid, Mm -hmm. keep them for a couple years, oftentimes not that far from the kid's actual residence. Yeah. And oh, God, that. Oh, my God. This podcast is terrible. It's terrible. Turn it off. (laughs) Listen to my story. (laughs) (laughs) So listen to this whole episode. Oh, my God. I've got to say, as weird as it was, like, I really enjoyed learning about that. I know. And there is it. It really is. There's something that's so great about the fact that they're rescued and, you know, but yeah, it's it is a it is terrible. Okay, here's another thing I didn't write down or research before Mm -hmm. this, but I want to say and maybe I'm totally wrong. But didn't Michelle McNamara, author of I'll Be Gone in the Dark, Dark. wasn't she one of the first people to make the possible connection once? Yes. Yes, she was, wasn't she? Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, she was just so obsessed with true crime Mm -hmm. stuff. She kind of put it together like, oh, wait, these two They're very similar. Boys, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no. We're embarrassing. (laughs) No, we are not. We are very cool and always have been. Okay. Last week nearly did me in. I know. 
we were both we we contemplated Thelma and Louising it. <laughs> yeah, well, should we talk about the fact <laughs> that I suggested we Thelma and Louise it after we lost that episode? Yeah. You literally cried. I did. Well, so I I text David and was like, the episode didn't record. I'm going to have to stay and record it again. Mm-hmm. And then he sent me a picture of my beautiful baby girl London and smiling, and he was like. We've got it. You're good. Do your thing. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I cried. <laughs> so, as you know, this past weekend I got together with Kyla and Jesse, our friend from yeah. high school. And I told them about what had happened yeah. and how, like, it was it just sucked. <laughs> yes. How you cried. And I I didn't realize how it sounded until it kind of came out of my mouth. But I was like, yeah, it was just rough because, like, Brandy had dinner plans with her fiance and the baby, and I was gonna go to Ulta. (laughs) (laughs) Equally important plans. I was this close to running out of mascara. Okay. I mean, not truly out of mascara, but out of the kind that I like. Like you said, you've always got at least three backup mascaras, right? I do. Yeah. I. You know, yeah, I, but they're I, not your favorites, and they don't do the volume the way you want them to. Mm-hmm. I, we know, we all know. Okay, at what point do you throw the makeup away, though? Right. <laughs> I was going through my old stuff this week. Yeah, I literally found a tube of lipstick that I bought. Oh my god, ten years yeah, ago. You gotta throw that away because a YouTuber told me to. Uh-huh. Throw, yeah, throw it away. Did you throw it away? No. <laughs> throw it away, Kristen. Okay, I will. <laughs> okay, so when I was, I, you know, I took a couple days off, really had to recenter myself. Why? I mean, all you missed was dinner with your fiance. You didn't have an Ulta appointment. Um, and then I was like, okay, I need to mm-hmm. get back to my my to roots. Mm-hmm. Do a kidnapping. Yep. And so I legitimately got on my Google machine. <laughs> And looked up 1950s kidnapping. Why 50s? I don't know. It's what I was like in the a... mood for. All right. All right it's right. what I was in the mood for. Mm-hmm. And Found this it. is what the internet delivered me. Okay. <laughs> so, a shout out to an article by Michael Dorman for Newsday. An article for Esquire by Mike... Go for it. McElary. Yeah. McElary? Why are you asking me? Like, I know the man. I don't know the man either. Hmm? Um, I don't think he's, I think this, anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I think it's an old article, so. Oh, so who gives a shit <laughs> yeah, he's no, dead? I, mean, I, think wow. I was about to say there's a possibility he's no longer living, and then I realized I shouldn't say that. <laughs> and then I said it anyway. <laughs> That's why I call him Abraham Lincoln, because he's dead. Who cares? <laughs> No, I wasn't saying I don't care how to pronounce his name because he's probably not living. I meant, no, neither one of us would know him because right. there's possi- right. possibly not living. Anyway. Jesus Christ wouldn't. <laughs> I'm totally with you, Brandy. If they're dead, we can That's mispronounce not what I'm saying. I'm with you all the way. And finally, an article for the New York Daily News by Robert Dominguez. Are you sick of my shit already? (laughs) I think it makes me sound like a bad person, and I don't like it. I think that's why I like to push harder, because you're not a bad person. You were caught saying something mildly maybe iffy, and so I just like to really drive it home. Thank you.
you'll be canceled soon. Mm-hmm. Don't worry. Thank you for ensuring that happens. <laughs> and then there will be a terrible rollerblading accident. <laughs> so you will be out there. of work completely. You'll be, you'll be just destitute. Oh, no. Don't put that in the universe. Suck that back in. <laughs> It was Wednesday, July 4th, 1956. Final cut. Hairstylist takes a tumble. <laughs> sorry. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty that was good, right? Good. Pretty I'm good. sorry. Start over. <laughs> it was Wednesday, July 4th, 1956. Rain earlier in the day had given way to clear skies. And by mid-afternoon, the smell of barbecue grills and the sound of children laughing and playing filled the upscale Long Island suburb of Westbury as families enjoyed the midweek break that the holiday had gifted them. It was just after 3 p.m. when a blood-curdling scream cut through the idyllic middle-class neighborhood. The scream had come from Mrs. Beatrice Weinberger, who lived at 17... Hold up. Hold up. Albemarle Road. Albemarle? Albemarle. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Well, Do you know that address? No, I, I just know that word. Okay, when I lived in Elizabeth <laughs> City, we had the College of the Albemarle. Oh. And, like, there were a bunch of, like, there was an Albemarle pa- That's really weird, because I, I, like... Legitimately, I saw the address and I was like, Albemarle, I've never seen that word in my life okay. before. When I moved there, <laughs> one of the first questions was, how the hell do you pronounce yes! it? I didn't even attempt it for weeks. <laughs> okay, 17 Albemarle Road, Westbury, New York. There's okay. no good pictures. There's a street view and you can see the oh. house. But Well, yeah, I see yeah. the house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cute little ranchy ranch. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. And this was like a new house at the time. I think it was built like in 1954 or something like that. I'll tell you when it was built. (laughs) 1952. Okay, I was close. I was close. So. Oh, my God. I tell you what, the house prices in New York. Oh, yeah. This thing's like $600,000 now. Yeah, the estimated value is $682,000. Did you get stuck? I got stuck. My Missouri brain is like, that's how could that house be $682,000? <laughs> yeah, it's like a three-bed, two-bath ranch. It sure is. Yes. Sure is. Okay. So, it's 4th of July, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Mrs. Beatrice Weinberger lets out a scream that cuts through the neighborhood. Betty, as she was known by everyone had been sitting outside while her newborn baby, 33-day-old Peter Weinberger, slept in his carriage on their patio. Betty had closed the mosquito netting around baby Peter's carriage and then gone inside for a couple of minutes while he slept. She was just, I don't know, doing stuff in the kitchen or putting stuff away throughout the house, and she glanced outside every couple of minutes. One time when she glanced out, she noticed that the netting had come open. And so she went over to adjust it again. And when she went out to the carriage, it was empty. Baby Peter was nowhere to be found. Betty was in hysterics, still 
processing what was going on, where was Peter, what had happened, when her husband, Morris, arrived home with their other son, two-year-old Louis. Betty told her husband exactly what she'd done. She'd gone inside for a couple of minutes, and when she came out, the carriage was empty. And that's when Morris saw it. A scrap of paper laying on their flagstone patio beneath the carriage. It was a ransom note. Peter Weinberger had been kidnapped. In a middle-class neighborhood? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's the crazy thing about this case. Yeah, is that they're not, like, super rich. They're not. Yeah. Wow, that's weird. Okay. The note was written in green ink on a sheet of paper that appeared like it had been ripped out of a children's school book. And it read, Attention. I'm sorry this had to happen, but I am in bad need of money and couldn't get it any other way. Don't tell anyone or go to the police about this because I am watching you closely. I am scared stiff and will kill the baby at your first wrong move. Oh, my God. Just put $2,000, which adjusted for inflation, Mm -hmm. approximately $19,400. Okay. In small bills in a brown envelope and place it next to the signpost at the corner of Albemarle and Park Avenue at exactly 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. If everything goes smooth, I will bring the baby back and leave him on the same corner, safe and happy, in quotes. Ooh, why in quotes? I don't know. At exactly 12 noon. No excuses. I can't wait. Signed, your babysitter. Oh, my God. That is so fucked up. Yeah. What would you do? I I would call the police immediately. I think I would be tempted to just... Just try and put the money together. But here's the thing. Like, $20,000, essentially, is what he's asking for. And this is not a wealthy family. Yeah. And... They don't just have yeah the money. They don't just have $2,000. And so despite the warning in the note, they called the police. <sighs> they contacted the Nassau County Police Department and Detective Frank Abramowitz was sent out to investigate, le- basically see if this was legitimate, see mm-hmm. what was going on here. Um, and so he came out and everything looked legit to him like this looked like a real ransom note the the family seemed to be reacting exactly how he thought they would be in this situation and so he called his boss um sergeant edward curran curran c-u-r-r-a-n curran curran could be yeah yeah. and he said i think we have a kidnapping and his boss was like what do you mean a kidnapping this is suburbia we don't have kidnappings in nassau county And Frank Abramowitz said, it's a baby. So this Edward Curran guy was like supposed to be on vacation, like starting this next week. But Uh he'd come into the office that day, just like finish up some paperwork that he had on his desk. Oh, shit. And so now he's like, well, fuck, I'm in this case. And so he headed on out to Westbury to get, you know. The Lake of the Ozarks will be there when you're done. Right. And so he went out to talk to the Weinbergers. 
And they were immediately like, let's just pay the ransom. Let's do it. Let's set up the drop. We'll do exactly what he said. And like the police had been cautious coming to the house. Mm-hmm. They'd, I think they'd come like, you know. Sirens off. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Real <laughs> subtle. Yes. Yeah. And so they were like, let's let's just pay the ransom, except can you guys like help us out? We don't like have the ransom. And they're like, okay, do you have any family members you can ask? And so they did. They had some wealthy family members like in the Gold Coast area of Long mm-hmm. Island, mm-hmm. which is like where the Great Gatsby lived, if you remember that. <laughs> Everyone, I need to let you know the look on Brandy's face. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like a really nice place. Like super, okay. super nice. I mean, I would go there if someone invited me. It's just that no one's invited I'm me yet. Invited there. <laughs> and so they do. They call some family members, and they're able to get enough family members who are willing to to send them money for it. Only it's a holiday. There's no banks open or anything. Wait, so the police are involved, and they don't. Pony up the cash? No. They do not offer to pony up the cash. Well, see, that's why I don't know that I would even get them involved. It's like, I can call my rich relatives by myself. What they do do is they... (laughs) (laughs) What they are able to do, Mm -hmm. because we are obviously not adults who can (laughs) blow past a doo-doo without (laughs) laughing. (laughs) They arrange for a bank to open and for family members to be able to wire money there and they put the money together. The police record the serial numbers on everything and they put the money in the brown envelope and they prepare the next morning to go and put it at the spot where the where the ransom note had said only there was a problem with the with the kidnappers instructions. There was no park in Albemarle? There was except Albemarle Made a big semicircle, and so there were two intersections oh, shit. of Albemarle and Park, and they didn't know which one to do it at. Oh my god! And so the detectives were like, "Okay, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna get another two thousand dollars. We're just gonna prepare two envelopes, and we'll put them at both intersections." Well, what are you guys pitching in? Or I like- think they did at okay, this point. Well, I think they got they ponied up the extra okay, two thousand okay. dollars. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> And so at 10 o'clock the next morning, they had the ransom packages and their brown envelopes set beside the signposts at both intersections. And then detectives like hid in the bushes and kept a lookout. But no kidnapper appeared. And somehow news reporters had gotten word that this was happening. And so press started showing up in the neighborhood. And so it just became a very chaotic scene. There were people swarming everywhere. And finally, the police were like, "Okay, obviously, this is not going to work. Mm -hmm. And the kidnapper never showed. And so all they could do, all the Weinbergers could do was just like sit and wait for further instruction. They had no way to they had no way to contact the kidnapper and so there's okay but you know what this kidnapper is a fucking dumbass because this is why you don't kidnap a middle-class person's son yeah exactly right yeah because they had to like go talk to all their relatives the relatives had to talk to other people so of course it's gonna get out yeah they're like oh lovey we just got a call and (laughs) Seems like there's problems in the suburbs. There's been a kidnapping and that, you know. Oh, my stuff. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, word spreads and that's yeah. what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's exactly how it and went that's down. that's how rich people talk. <laughs> 
when you get that rich. Does your voice change gradually or is it like... I bet it's just like a sudden thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, Morris and Betty are besides them... Besides themselves? Fuck. They're beside themselves. I think everything should be plural. <laughs> They're like, what do we do now? And so the investigators are kind of like coming up with, they're like brainstorming some ideas oh about what they God. could do. And so they came up with the idea of holding a news conference. Mm-hmm. On this news conference, they would appeal to the kidnapper that baby Peter needed special formula. Mm-hmm. And this was completely made up. Right. He didn't need special formula. And they, in fact, invented a formula that would they like made up this whole thing that would need to be filled by a pharmacist um and that on the hopes that the this is this, this is, is so this far could really it backfire is, it is a mess okay so they plan to call this press conference and say make this appeal that baby Peter needs this special formula that could only be put together by a pharmacist. He has to put these specific things together and they list out the things and the hopes that the kidnapper would go to the pharmacy and ask for this to be filled. And the pharmacist would be oh. like, Oh, well this doesn't exist and would call the police. Oh, and that's let them really know. Weird. I agree. See what I was thinking uh-huh. was like, what if the kidnapper hears all this? Like, Oh, this kid needs this certain yeah. things to survive. That's more trouble than it's worth. I'm going to kill the kid. I, yeah. Yes. I think that's a valid concern. Oh, my God. Yeah. It doesn't seem that they considered that at all. They just were like, oh, yeah, this is you need a, you need to go to a pharmacist. And they hoped that the kidnapper would go to this pharmacist, any pharmacist. And the pharmacist would be like, yeah, that's not a thing that exists and would then know to call the police. Do you think... They had called up a bunch of local pharmacies and been like, hey, just heads up. I sure hope so. Or that this had made such news by that point that they were like, every pharmacist is going to have seen this news story as well. This is wild. It is wild. Okay. So Betty goes on the news that night. She's got, you know, floodlights all over the place. Dozens of reporters are there. She's right out front of the Nassau police headquarters. And she goes on the news and she says, I am the mother of Peter Weinberger, who was taken from me yesterday. Whoever you are, I now plead for the return of my baby who needs the care of his mother. And then she broke down mm-hmm. and she wasn't able to continue. And so she handed the paper that she was supposed to read the instructions off of to the lead investigator, Edward Curran. And I'm going to pronounce his name differently every time that I see it. And Great. that's what I'm that's doing. That's the spice of this podcast. That's exactly right. And she said, you read it. I can't. And so he took over and he said that the baby was in need of a special formula for feeding. And then he read off the ingredients in the fake formula that they'd made up. And then they waited and hoped that they would get calls from pharmacists. Only that never happened. Yeah. No one ever called them. And there was no sign of Peter Weinberger anywhere. Were the FBI involved? I mean, surely. I mean, this is after Lindbergh, so this... Sh- Seven days. 
that what? by law, the FBI was not allowed to join the case Whoa. for seven days. What? That is so ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Why? Yeah. That was the law. Yeah. But why? Because it's the law, Kristen! Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yes. As a result of this case, that law was changed, and the oh. FBI can now join the case after 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So the FBI is just like watching their watching them screw up. Watching the time go by. Looking to join the case the minute they can. Days go by. Finally, at 10:45 a.m. on July 10th, the phone rang at the Weinberger home and Morris answered it. And on the line was a man with a husky voice, and he had new instructions for them. He said to leave the ransom at the exit, like exit 26 off the Northern State Parkway. And so he did it. They went, they took the ransom to exit 26, and again, no one showed up for it. What the hell? And they're like, oh, my gosh. Like, by this point, it's like six days have gone by. Yeah. But no one showed up for the ransom. Later that day, Betty's at home, and she receives a second call from the kidnapper. Oh, my God. And he says, hello, Mrs. Weinberger? And she said, yes. And the man said, listen, do you want to see your kid or don't you? And Betty said, who is this? And the man on the line said, well, it's the party you would be interested in. I called up earlier and I don't know who answered, but I made an appointment and no one showed up. And Betty said, you made an appointment with my husband. And what did you ask him to do? And the man says, go go to exit 26. And and Betty cut him off. She said, yes, we kept the appointment. My husband went. And the man on the line said, nobody was there. I was there for over an hour. And then there's like a pause and he goes, well, now I'm at exit 28. (laughs) So it's like the kidnapper went to the wrong exit. Oh, my God. And so he's like, "Okay, fine. Now I'm at exit 28. If you if you. If you want your baby, you bring the ransom to exit 28. You'll find a blue bag there. And so Betty's like flustered now. And she's like, hold on just a minute. Let me get this straight. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm nervous. I need to I need to get this straight. What do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. And the man on the line says, put the money in the blue bag. Take the note and I'll tell you it will tell you where to find your baby in an hour's time. And Betty's like about to get off the phone. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. Where at exit 28? Going which direction? Which side? Yes. 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 And he says, exit 28 as you're going towards New York. You'll find a blue bag right by the sign, not at the exit, at the sign that says exit 28. So thank God Betty's like trying to get all the information at this point. Because this kidnapper is an idiot and just assumes that everyone's going to understand exactly what he means. Yes. And he's like, be there in 30 minutes. And she's like, that's all? That That's all? You're only giving me half an hour? And he's like, that's all you need. You can make it in 15. I know. I've already done it. 
So is he a neighbor? I don't know. Well, yeah, you do know. Oh, no, do you not? Oh, okay. Okay, all right. Okay, you know what? This is killing me. I'm so sorry. I need to fill up my go water. Ahead. I'm loving this. Okay, go ahead. Loving it. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so Betty's like, okay, the blue bag, it's going to be right by the sign that says exit 28. And I need to have the ransom there within 30 minutes. Yeah. And the kidnapper on the line says, that's right. And so she gets off the phone and she goes to the detectives and they're like, okay, 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 we're going to put this all together. They put several detectives like in street clothes and plant them on the side of the highway like they're a litter crew. Mm. Um, And then they go out to exit 28 and they find the blue bag and they put the money in it. That doesn't sound super subtle. I mean, if you're the kidnapper and all of a sudden a litter Litter crew crew shows up. up. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a mistake and probably a mistake that the FBI would have been like, oh, that's not why we're going to handle it. Yeah, it's not amateur. Because it's only been six days. The FBI can't join. Okay. And wouldn't you know it? Nobody fucking showed again for the ransom. Oh, my God. Inside the blue bag, there was another note and it. The handwriting matched the first one and it repeated the demand for the $2,000 and again seemed kind of apologetic. Like, I'm sorry to have to do this. And, you know, it's not that much money I'm asking for, but give it to me now. Mm-hmm. All I did was take your child. Right. So now they're exactly where they started from. They still have no further instructions. No one's showing up for the for the ransom. They don't know what to do. Finally, a week has passed and the FBI is like, move over. We're taking over this investigation. Not a minute too soon, I say. Right. And so they put like 55 agents on the case, which prior to this, there were only eight working on it. Seems a little overkilly. I was going to say, are they trying to make up for lost time by just putting everyone so on the case? So what they did is they put 55 agents on the case, and then they want to match those up with, like, 55 state police guys so that everybody's working in pairs of two, and they can all have different tasks that they're working on. And there's a reason for that, because they have very few clues in the case. They have the phone calls because they were able to record them, and they have the ransom notes. And that's really it. And so they want... Half of the people looking at handwriting samples and trying to match it up and other people listening to voice recordings and trying to find a connection. And so this is what they do for the next few weeks. Oh, no. They analyze thousands upon thousands of handwriting samples. And they put together from this ransom note 16 letters of the alphabet that had distinguishing, unusual characteristics to them that were different than how people typically write their letters. And so they put together what they called the happy birthday letter, a letter with just some kind of phrase on it that contained all 16 of those letters. And anybody that they had considered a possible suspect in any way was brought in and made to copy Mm-hmm. that phrase from that happy birthday letter so they could analyze their handwriting. Boy. Yeah, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and wouldn't you, I mean, I hate to state the obvious, but wouldn't you be disguising your handwriting? Well, and that's what I wondered, and I thought had that same thought. So I don't know if they, like, dic- like they read the letter aloud to them and told them to write it down or if they had it typed up and they were asked to write it. I don't know. 
But well, yeah, no, you I, would mean, th- I know you would think that if you knew that you were being considered for writing a ransom letter, wouldn't you write your? Well, and also if you were writing a ransom letter, wouldn't that not be your actual handwriting? That would be what a smart kidnapper would do. Thanks. I've been looking about getting into it, you know? <laughs> a lot of my friends are married now. <laughs> Sorry, that's oh, a gross no. Oh, no. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. It's not happening. So, yeah, this is going nowhere. They then start combing through public records, files from different courts throughout the Long Island jurisdiction, looking at any papers that any offenders have ever written on ever before to find this distinct handwriting. Mm-hmm. But this was taking forever. Yeah. And there were no signs of Peter Weinberger at all. What there was no shortage of were people claiming to know yeah, where Peter was or playing pranks on the Weinbergers or... Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, or trying to extort ransom money from them. Oh. Yeah. Five people were arrested after making, like, phony calls to the Weinbergers about, oh, we know where Peter is, just give us this money and we'll tell you. Um, There was another one. I hope they went to prison for a long, long time. Same. There was another instance where Betty got a call and was told to take the ransom money to this movie theater in Queens. And she was supposed to take a seat in the, in the next to last row. And then she was supposed to put the ransom money like in the seat next to her. And so she did. She went and she sat exactly where she was supposed to in the theater. But 30 FBI agents had also taken seats in the theater. Like, you know, they'd gone, you know, not all together, different times. They looked like they were just buying tickets. Yeah, and they're all white dudes in suits who probably have the same haircut and they're all there (laughs) alone. They don't have dates or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So Betty goes in, she takes her seat, and within minutes, someone comes in and snatches her purse. And then goes to run off. Well, there's 30 FBI agents there. <laughs> they all fucking tackle this guy. And it turns out he was just a purse snatcher. He had no idea who <laughs> Betty was. He had no idea that oh. there was this ransom arrangement supposedly going on there. I bet that dude shat his I'm trousers. I'm sure that he did. <laughs> Can you fucking imagine? I bet he never snatched another purse. I bet purse. he didn't. <laughs> Can you imagine? You take somebody's purse and 32 is That's great. Yeah. Six weeks passed. Oh. And still no sign of baby Peter. The kidnapper had had the baby longer than they had, right? Yeah. it was only 30 days. Yeah. I mean, assuming the baby's still alive. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Finally, this probation officer in Brooklyn had, like, was going through his personal files. This is something they'd kind of outsourced to, like, different, yeah, different I mean, people. And they're like, hey, look at your minutes. files. See if you've got anything that matches this handwriting. And he put together a stack of files that he saw this handwriting. There was specifically the way the kidnapper wrote his cursive M's looked like a sideways Z, apparently. Okay. And so he, this, this probation officer 
looked through. He saw someone that looked like he wrote his M's that same way. And he was like, hey, just going to give this to you guys. I don't know if this is a match, but this looks similar to me. And he gave them the file of Angelo LaMarca. Um, He had been arrested for making an illegal still, um, which is like moonshine. Yeah. Yeah. And he had served like two years of probation for it. And they look at it and they're like, yeah, this is a perfect match to the handwriting. And it, he, he went had from to, making a still to kidnapping a kid? Mm-hmm. In like what they had for his paperwork was like his confession about how he made the still and all this. And so they had a pretty, a pretty good sampling of his handwriting and it matched the ransom note perfectly. And so they went and tracked him down and they were like, they put him under surveillance at first and then they decided it was him. And so Angelo LaMarca was just like this guy who worked as a taxi dispatcher. Mm-hmm. And then he may, according to a Wait, couple of articles. What's a taxi? Shut is that up. like, okay. is that like he also, Uber, but, he also but earlier? I don't understand. May have worked as a mechanic for North American van lines, which I can only assume is some kind of Uber-like transportation <laughs> service. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I've never been on public transportation. <laughs> But I've got a lot of opinions about how it should be run. <laughs> anyway. You look so pissed. Angelo and his wife Donna and their two young children lived in Plainview, New York, which was a less nice suburb of Long Island. Mm-hmm. It was about 15 minutes east of Westbury. For comparison, the home Angelo and his family lived in um, had cost $14,700, which mm-hmm. adjusted for inflation is about $143,000. Mm-hmm. And the Weinberger's home had cost $50,000, which adjusted for inflation was oh. about $486,000. Okay. So, you know, what? that does make more sense. Yeah. Of like, to him, this was that the was rich the neighborhood. rich neighborhood. Exactly. So, yeah, they're going to have two yep. grand. Yeah. Okay. So after comparing his samples and taking him under surveillance for a while, they decided this was the guy and they needed to bring him in. But they wanted to be careful because they didn't want to put baby Peter in danger if he were still in LaMarca's care, if he was still alive Mm -hmm. by any chance at this point. And so, like, one day they show up to his house. They watched him take his two children to their grandparents' house. And then when he returned to his house with his wife, they took that opportunity to take him into custody. And the, like, eight people surrounded him. And mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't any big thing. He cooperated. Um, and they took him into custody. And his wife was like, what is going on? I don't understand what's going on. And they brought her in as well. But this is where... Things kind of broke down between the FBI and the local police. Oh, shit. So the FBI were like, this is our case. And the police were like, you have no jurisdiction here. So this Edward Curran was like, this is my case. You don't have any right to interrogate him. He's my criminal. Really? Yeah. And so they were like fighting it out while this guy's sitting in in an interrogation room. What the fuck? So they're having a dick measuring contest? Yes. When there's possibly a baby on the line? Yes. And I'm sorry, but doesn't doesn't FBI win in that argument? 
Or shouldn't the FBI win? What's the mayor say? I don't know. I don't know what the mayor said, but finally they get down to it and the FBI backs off and lets Edward have the interview. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, it's like, all right, we we should get to the bottom of this. Yeah. Oh. He told so. Yeah, he told like the head of the FBI, this Edward Curon guy, told the FBI, he's like, you know, you have no jurisdiction here. There's no indication that he ever crossed state lines. It looks like he traveled 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. This is my case. You have to let me have the interview. You have to let me do the interrogation. And he was like, you're right. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And so he goes in and he sits down with Angelo Lamarca and he's like, listen, I am your only friend right now. I live on the same street as your parents. Mm. I come from where you come from. Help me help you. Okay. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very different than how the FBI would have gone in there. Yeah. Yeah. This next sentence pains me to say so much, but this is a direct quote from the New York Daily News article. But LaMarca proved to be a tough nut. (laughs) It took more than 24 hours under the lights before he finally cracked. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. You know, one might say that he was like a walnut in a real dry heat. Mm-hmm. Oh. I read that. I was like, oh. are you fucking kidding me? Oh, I, He was like a nut. Oh, that that is beautiful because I know how angry I get when I'm watching a show and the cops were like, so we made entry into the home. And I'm like, No. Because you know you have to admit it. Yes. Like, this is what they said. Okay. Wow. So, for like 24 hours, Angelo Lamarck is like, I don't know anything about the kidnapping. So, truly 24 hours? 24 hours. So, he really was a tough nut to crack. He was. <laughs> he was a tough nut to crack. Maybe they should have got one of those nut, nut crackers. crackers. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. He wasn't like a cashew in the rain, I'll tell you that. He was not. He was not. So finally this Edward Curran guy is mm-hmm. like, I know what'll do it. And he brings Angelo's wife, Donna, into <gasps> the interrogation room. Gonna shame you. And she goes, Angelo, did you kidnap this child? Mm. Think of the baby's mother. If you did this and I was the mother, I'd want to know where he is. And Angelo's pissed. He's mm. like he has a like a physical reaction to his wife being in there. He yells to get her out of there. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as she's gone, he confesses. He writes a 12 page confession and signs every one of them with his weird little handwriting thing that matched the ransom note. He said that he had been driving around on the 4th of July and he had seen Betty pushing Peter in his carriage and then watched her settle in on the patio in the backyard and had seen an opportunity. He was in debt to the tune of about $1,800, some of it from buying a refrigerator, some of it from putting storm windows on the house, 
Um, and then like $400 of it was to a loan shark who was threatening to hurt his family. Mm. And he couldn't afford the like $126 mortgage payment that was coming up. And so he just saw an opportunity to make a quick buck is what he said. Kidnappings are never quick bucks. No. And, right, and believe me, I've tried. Stop <laughs> it. And right after he had taken Peter, he panicked. He didn't know what to do with the baby. And so he just laid him down in a bed of honeysuckles on the side of the highway and had left him there. What? Mm-hmm. Yep. So on August, oh my God! Mm-hmm, on August twenty fourth, um, a bunch of police officers and federal agents went out and searched that area where he told them he'd left him, and there they found the remains of Peter Weinberger. He had died oh. almost immediately after he was taken because Angelo Lamarca had laid him face down in the honeysuckles, <gasps> and he'd suffocated to death. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Angela LaMarca was indicted on charges of kidnapping and first-degree murder. And in a kind of a weird move, um, the Nassau District Attorney Frank Galata decided to prosecute the case himself. Obviously, this was a huge case. He was probably up for re-election, if I'm guessing. I was going to say, I probably for the same reason that that guy wanted to interrogate him himself. It's yeah. like, this is a big deal, a and big I want to be part of a big deal. Yes. In, in Long Island, this was seen as, like, the trial of the century. Sure. And finally, the trial began in November of 1956. Um, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. This really says a lot about this guy as a parent. Right? Oh, absolutely. That he's got two kids, yeah. but he takes a baby and he doesn't know what to Pan- do with completely it. Completely panicked, had no idea what to do. So he just left it on the side of the highway. Honestly, what I thought you were going to say is he left it on the side of the highway mm-hmm. and they never found the remains. And mm-hmm. obviously someone took the baby and raised it or mm-hmm. something. So... It's interesting that you say that because initially when he first confessed to this and said that's what he'd done, they couldn't find the remains. Uh And so that's what Betty said. Betty was like, I know my baby's still alive. Someone found him. Someone has him. And so then they took Angelo out there and he was able to take them directly where he left him and there his remains were. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's horrifying. What a... Oh, my God. What a terrible, terrible human. Yeah. Yeah. At his trial, Angelo Lamarca used an insanity defense. They put a psychiatrist on the stand who'd said that he was driven to commit this kidnapping because of the mounting debts and pressure from his wife and that he had Oh, the wife's fault. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. She needed storm windows. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what a bitch yeah. I and hate it when women convince their husbands to kidnap kids that's right to pay for the storm, storm windows. windows damn it um, the 
The psychiatrist, Dr. Thomas Cusack, uh, testified that Angela Lamarca had a, quote, diseased mind. In their closing argument, the prosecution, which was urging the jury to both convict Angela Lamarca on all charges and then send him to the electric chair, Mm -hmm. said, this man has passed the sentence on himself. Literally and actually, with the life of that little child in the palm of his hand, he determined his own fate when he said to himself, shall that baby live or shall that baby die? His hands closed and he chose death. When that baby's life expired, Angelo LaMarca's life expired too. Mm. That's a pretty good closing argument. It really is. The jury was all male and was made up of 10 fathers and two grandfathers. <laughs> and they found him guilty on both charges and sentenced him to death. Both Angelo Lamarca's mother and wife fainted when they heard that he was sentenced to death. You think so? According to the article, that's what happened. Sounds like bullshit. <laughs> it probably is. You know, you read some of these old timey articles, <laughs> yes. and all the women are fainting. Yes, they're all constantly the fainting. Yes. It's like, how have I not fainted 12 <laughs> times this week? You know? Angelo Lamarca appealed his sentence, and that stretched out for almost two years. But finally, all of his appeals were exhausted, and on August 7th, 1958, he was put to death in the electric chair at Sing Sing Prison. His final meal was fried chicken, french fries, vegetables, ice cream, and coffee. Um, yeah. Mm. Not what I would pick. It's the coffee that throws me. Yeah. I'll be honest. Yeah. yeah. As they were put, like, strapping him into the electric chair, there was a priest there who was giving him his last rites and stuff. And they, you know, they put the leather mask on him and then they put a strap across that. And as they were putting the strap across him, like, I guess across his neck, Mm -hmm. he said, what are you trying to do? Choke me? What? And those were his last words. Was that a joke? I have no idea. I have no idea. If it's a joke, it's not that bad. It's yeah. It's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad. There are obviously the death of Peter Weinberger is horribly tragic. There, yeah. The silver lining is that this case um, changed the law that the FBI doesn't have to wait seven days. That so wouldn't have changed the outcome. In I this was going to say, but ironically, it wouldn't have it made would a not, bit of difference. It wouldn't have made a difference in this case. You're absolutely right. But it probably would have saved the parents a lot of heartache because mm-hmm. it sounds like they were really running around dealing with a bunch of bullshit. And yeah, yeah. Maybe that could have been cut down on. Mm hmm. In a bit of a weird twist, Angelo Lamarca's son, Vincent, was nine when he kidnapped Peter Weinberger. He was 11 when his father was executed. He saw his father in prison a couple of times. It was never – he wasn't told his last visit was his last visit. So he Mm. never really felt he got to say goodbye to his father. Yeah. The family was 
kind of adopted by the local police force. They kind of watched over them in the wake of this. And in response to that, Vincent grew up to become a police sergeant in the Long Island Police Department. Wow. Yeah. He served 20 years there before retiring and moving to Florida. Oh, my God. During his time there, he worked closely with the men who had caught and prosecuted his father. Mm -hmm. But he said a lot of them didn't know who his father was or what he had done. And those who did never held it against him. Wow. In another odd twist, in 1990, Vincent's son, Joey, who he was estranged from, stabbed a drug dealer to death in Long Island while he was attempting to rob him. He hadn't spoken to him in years, and his son Joey was dealing with addiction and Uh stuff at that time. But it later came out that Joey had been obsessed with his grandfather's (gasps) story in that he believed murder was in his genes. Oh. His way of rebelling against his dad was Mm -hmm. to be like his grandpa? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, that's weird. Yeah. Vincent LaMarca's position on this was, this is a direct quote, the only murder dumber than my father's is my son's. Hmm. Vincent LaMarca's life story is actually the inspiration behind a 2002 Robert De Niro movie called City by the Sea. I've never, I had never heard of it. It stars Robert, Robert De, Niro. De Niro. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> James Franco, Eliza uh, Dushku. I've never seen it. I had who? never heard of it. Eliza. <laughs> She's Missy from Bring It On. Oh, okay. <laughs> this school has no gymnastics team. This is a last resort. Oh, that girl. Yeah. All yeah. right. <laughs> I didn't know her last name was Dushkanu. Dushkanu. <laughs> and that's the story of an old-timey kidnapping. That was amazing. Right? Oh, my gosh. That was so sad. Yeah. This episode's really sad. This episode's a bummer. It is a huge bummer. <laughs> it was very interesting, though. I've never I, heard I'm gonna that have to go one. watch this movie now. So I read an article, an interview with Vincent LaMarca, and he said he saw the movie. Mm-hmm. He ended up walking out of it because it was too difficult to watch. But he said they did take some creative liberties with it, and he understands why they have to do that. But it's fairly, fairly accurate. Yeah. 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 His son did an interview where he said, it's in our name. It's in our name that murders in our genes. La Marca means the mark. We have the mark of murderers. Okay. Shut up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They. Bo- it's interesting how they went different ways there. Like one of them, like Vincent was not going to be like his father. He mm-hmm. was going to be on the other side of the law and be a policeman and be an upstanding citizen. And that was his way to rebel against his father and what his father had done. Mm-hmm. And then. Yeah. His son became obsessed with his grandfather's story. And believed that murder was in his jeans. Was he wearing jeans I when he said that? <laughs> I'd like to think so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. That was very Ooh, well told. Thank you. 
Man, those were some good cases. I mean, I know it was a bummer, but those were good cases. Very, very interesting cases, mm-hmm. yes. You know what I think we ought to do now? Um... <laughs> uh, should we take some questions from the Discord? <laughs> we should. Let me take. Let me wet my whistle. I feel like I just talked. Yeah, I for think you need to. Forty minutes straight. Ah, G fuel hashtag not an ad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they'll send me some free G fuel if I keep mentioning it on the podcast? Hey, listeners, can you reach out to G fuel and tell them that I'm constantly talking about their product on the podcast, and maybe they can give us some free stuff. Oh, yeah. Don't sign up for our Patreon. Go <laughs> hound the people at G Fuel. <laughs> no, also, we, uh, they only do that after you've signed up for our Patreon. Also, leave us a five-star rating and review. We don't ask much. Just, just all, all those that things. Stuff. Can you just constantly be working for us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, too soon. Too soon. Court jester Jorge says, are you sure you're recording? Oh, Oh, my gosh. We have both, I've noticed this, we've both looked over at the computer that monitors our recording situation quite a few times. <sighs> Usually that's my job, to be super paranoid. But you stepped in. You really helped out. <laughs> Ooh, Kirsten wants to know, Brandy, what is your biggest pet peeve on hairstylist social media? I have so many things that irritate me that I'm just ignoring hairstylist TikToks now. Do you have one? Yeah, I have all kinds of them. Oh, um, but tell I us everything. I don't know. Tell us everything. And if it's, I think it's kind of catty, but <laughs> if it's catty, we'll cut it. But I think we like catty. Where to begin? <laughs> I had no idea this. This question would like start you off um, down a long road. No, I think that. Ugh. I think that a lot of hairstylists, uh, social media gives people false expectations about what they can expect out of their hair experience mm-hmm. and achievable results in one session. I don't think they're as transparent as they need to be. Lots of times when you see a before and an after, there are multiple sessions oh. that have happened between there. Okay. So you're talking about like dramatic hair color yes. changes and yes. people come in with like mm-hmm. super dark hair and then they want like silver. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so, while we're on it, silver, get the fuck out of here. I don't even want to talk to you. Really? Yeah. Because it's not, it's not sustainable. It's, it's a ton of upkeep. You have to get your hair toned like every 10 days with silver hair, which is very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So it's a trend I am not here for because I think that's a ridiculous expectation. Nobody wants to get their have to have their hair done every ten days. Hmm. <sighs> Anything else? Anything else you want to get off your chest? That's all I'd like to talk about right all now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say on the on the other side of that, what I do really like is I think that because that trend has happened where you see these huge transformations mm-hmm. without knowing exactly what happened in between and how expensive it was. On the other side of that, there are hairstylists now who are out there and being like, this took six sessions and the total yeah. cost was $1,400. Yeah. So I do love that. Yes. And I think that's important for people to know, like to for them to be transparent about that. All right. All right. Nancy Carlson wants to know, if I go to Shoney's, what should I get? The salad bar. That's my recommendation. Also, well, I haven't been to Shoney's in many years. <laughs> I haven't had the pleasure. But it used to also come with the soup bar. So sounds amazing. How was your soup with lunch, Kristen? Shut up. You know I didn't like my soup today. 
good. I was appalled. Okay, Kristen, we oh. went to lunch. Mm-hmm. Kristen ordered her kale salad, kale which is salad, delicious. Which just looks like leaves they picked up out in the backyard. It's delicious. Um, and then, so she ordered it, and then she just said, can I also just get a cup of soup with that? And the waitress was like, absolutely, no problem. They have one okay, soup no, on the Okay, no, so I didn't know that. Uh-huh. And so, like, after she left, I was just in my head. I'm just like, did she just order mystery soup? How does she know what they're going to bring her? Like, what, just any soup is fine? And so I, and it was just, like, going in my head. And so finally I had to be like, Kristen, I'm very concerned about how you ordered. What soup are they bringing you? And you're like, oh, they only have one soup on the menu. It's just this tomato basil thing. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. And then they brought you warm ketchup. <laughs> It was bad. It was not not a good soup. We love the restaurant. Yeah, it was great. And you've had the soup there before. Yeah. It was just an off day for the soup, I think. Somebody fudged up today. (laughs) Ooh. Anna wants to know, Brandy, have you considered having a black wedding dress? I have. Of course I have considered having a black wedding dress. I just don't know if that's what I want. Mm -hmm. There's actually a dress that I have my eye on. Mm Mm-hmm. But I have to try it on my person and see if it if it works. In my mind, I look amazing. <laughs> Can you tell us anything about it? Um, it is, yeah, it's ivory. Mm-hmm. And it's very simple. Mm-hmm. But it's got sleeves and it's off the shoulder, which I think Ooh, very, much, very yeah. much my style. Mm-hmm. So, but it's very simple. Mm-hmm. If that dress that I have in my mind doesn't look on my body how it does in my mind, which is a very real possibility, <laughs> then, yeah, I think a black dress could could definitely uh, okay. work its way in there. Oh, I'm interested to know this for you, because I know for me. Fierce Mama Llama wants to know, is there a method to the madness of picking what cases you cover every week? Do you guys have a spreadsheet <laughs> of cases that you want to mm. cover and go through it, or do you just randomly pick cases of what speaks to you? Yeah, it's very random for me. I have a spreadsheet. Oh, it's so organized. Oh, my. I'm very choosy. No, it's whatever strikes me. Same. It's like, what am I in the mood to research this week? And sometimes I will read several articles on like three or four cases and be like, nope, that's not it. That's Mm -hmm. not what I want to talk about this week. Yeah. Yeah. Because you like you. I don't know. It seems weird to say, but you have to like like the case you're covering and be interested in the case you're covering. Yeah. And you have to find um, sources that go in depth enough. Yep. Um, Also, sometimes you want to make sure they don't go too in depth because you don't have all day long. Yeah. We have about half a day, though. That's pretty much (laughs) a lot. Ooh. This is a would you rather from Tay. Okay. Would you rather be put in a maximum security federal prison with the hardest of the hardened criminals oh, no. for one year? Oh, God. Or be put in a relatively relaxed prison where Wall Street types are held for 10 years? Oh, shit. Fuck. Okay, well, if I'm in, like, the max, uh-huh. am I just in a jail cell by myself? Like, is it so maxi maxed out? I'm sorry, I'm thinking maxi Maxi pads pads, yeah. (laughs) That, like, I'm not really in any danger. Well, that's just how, that's how I'm thinking about it, too. If it's maximum security, even if I'm in general population, if it's to the point that I am, like, in danger, they're going to put me in ad seg. So I'm going one year. Ad seg? Yeah. Administrative segregation. It's for your own protection. Yeah, but why would you get that? 
If I'm if if I am in danger, if I'm at risk, they'll put you in segregation for your own protection. But it's not. Hey, do you feel like maybe you're at risk? No, it's- that's what I'm saying. If it gets to the point that like I'm really at risk of getting hurt, uh-huh. then they would do that. Well, you've got a lot of faith in the system. Well, no, I would have I would have had to have been attacked or something at that point for that <laughs> right, to happen. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's no, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, like something will have, like legitimately will have had to happen. And if you're at the maxiest of the max, I mean, yeah. don't you think those folks are pretty good at killing people? Like, well, when, yes, when I they do. Have, like, if they've attempted, they've probably succeeded, right? Yes. And so then they're like, gosh, too bad. <laughs> if only we could have put her in ad seg or whatever. I I would do the exact same uh, yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that's why I'm I, giving you a hard time. <laughs> I would do the exact same thing. <laughs> okay, I want to know the answer to this. AJ Beers says, I'm in my car waiting for my daughter to be done at the dentist. They bring the kids out to us. I was falling asleep when my phone vibrated with this Discord notification. Where's the weirdest slash most embarrassing place you've ever fallen asleep? Hmm... I don't know that it's that weird, but it was embarrassing to me. I used, you know, I used to get my lashes done. I used to get lash extensions, yeah. and like every time I would get them done, I would fall asleep because you're just like laying on a table getting right. it done. But I would wake myself up because I would start snoring. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'm sure the lady didn't care. She didn't care at all. No. Yeah. And I would always like wake myself up and be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I totally fell asleep." And she's like, "Everyone falls asleep," but I would be embarrassed because I was snoring. And I don't. Snore like in my bed. I don't really mm, snore. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> where's yours? Do you have one? No, I'm. I'm so jealous of these people who just can fall asleep anywhere. anywhere. I can barely fall asleep in my own bed. That's true. Yeah, I'm not a great sleeper, so maybe no. that's yeah part of it. Sorry, I, I got all hot. <laughs> so I had to now I'm all hot because you're stripping down. The sweatshirt. <laughs> Skeezy Skunch says, thoughts on Fred Durst's new look? Does Fred Durst have a new look? He does. Oh God, I've you got to look it up. Okay. Look up Fred Durst, Lollapalooza. <laughs> he looks like a dad. Like an old dad. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited. <gasps> what? <laughs> Do you remember the days of him in his white tank top and his red backwards hat with oh, his big old yes. shorts? Yes. Now this is what he looks like. <laughs> That is wild. Yeah. He's out there in a raincoat. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. You look at his face. His face is the same. His face is the same. Yeah. It's just, boy, you really wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's a comparison picture of him with the backwards hat on and woo. Excuse me for a moment. <laughs> oh, my God. Brandy freaking loved. I mean, that is that oh, is your type that is right my, there. That's 100% my type. Look at him. Yep. Okay. Look at this fucking picture of him right here. Yep. I, I was looking Ooh. at that exact picture. <laughs> I was like, that's Brandy. That's got Brandy's name written all over it. <sighs> uh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm about to pee myself. We're going to have to do Supreme Court induction. <laughs> okay. All right, we are continuing to do your names and your favorite cookies. Cookies. Jessica Kostek. Sugar cookie with M&Ms on top. On top? Not mixed in? On top, she says. Okay. Natalia Hurtado. Chewy double chocolate chunk. Megan Fudge. Brownie fudge chocolate chip. She says, I married into this name for obvious reasons. (laughs) (laughs) Oliver Roop. My homemade chocolate chip cookies. 
Lauren Holton, Chocolate No-Bake Cookies, Kelly O, Oatmeal Scotchies, Cassie Phelps, Dark Chocolate Chunk, Carrie Halliburton, Red Velvet with White Chocolate Chips, Jenna Klein, this is an exclamation point after her name. She says, I don't like sweets, dare I say pretzels. No, get the fuck out of here with your pretzels. Pretzels? No. Is a pretzel a cookie? No. Also, sometimes on an airplane, they'll give me the pretzels and I won't even eat them. (laughs) That's what I think of pretzels. It's because you're so mad that you had to take your shoes off to get on that airplane. (laughs) Security theater. Annabelle Morales. Snickerdoodles. Aaron Daly. Triple chocolate chunk. Stephanie Kroll. Oatmeal raisin. Skylar Haynes. Oh my god, did you hear that? Was that you? That was my stomach. Oh no. Oh, god. I thought that was the radiator. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta hurry I'm this concerned. up. You should She's be. She's gonna blow! <laughs> Wait, whose name did you just do? Skylar? Uh, yeah, Skylar Haynes. Snickerdoodles. Andrea Steiger. Chocolate chip. Hibba. Chocolate chip and pistachio brownie cookie. Okay, that probably is pretty good. Okay, all right. Jody Sasso. Crumble waffle cookies. Amy R. <laughs> Chocolate peanut butter chip. Robin F. White. Chocolate. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Robin F. White chocolate macadamia. Sorry. Don't steal my words. Sorry, Robin. <laughs> Crystal Fairchild. Cherry zinger cookie. Zinger. No. Selena Pena. No favorite cookie, but let's talk about cookie dough. All right. Okay. All right. Tatum Langley. No bake oatmeal cookies. <laughs> and three exclamation points. No, four. Excuse yeah. me. Mona Hopland. Oatmeal cookies. She only did one exclamation point. So yeah, that was just like, like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm about to explode. Shanna. through this. <laughs> Macaroons. Allie Buchanan. Speculoos. Oh my god, do you hear? I am, I'm very concerned. (laughs) Becca Banfill. (laughs) Chocolate chip cookies. Oh my god. Without chocolate chips. What? What? We have no time to react. Welcome to the the Supreme Court. Chris is about to explode. (laughs) (laughs) What is happening? Is it the soup? Maybe the soup heard me talking shit on it. it, And now now it's like, it's going to explode out of you. It's going to explode out of you, that's for sure. All right. Tell Thank them. you all of you for all of your support. We appreciate it very much. If you're looking for other ways to support us, please find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, oh Reddit, Patreon. Uh, please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. And oh head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. And then be sure to join us next week. And we'll be experts on two whole new podcasts. Oh, two whole new topics. Oh, my God. Podcast engine! Yeah! And now for a note about our process. I read a bunch of stuff, then regurgitate it all back up in my very limited vocabulary. And I copy and paste from the best sources on the web, and sometimes Wikipedia. So we owe a huge thank you to the real experts. I got my info from reporting by Tim O'Neill for the St. Louis Dispatch, Malcolm Gay's article, Monster Next Door, from the Riverfront Times, the Crime Museum, and Wikipedia. I got my info from an article by Michael Dorman for Newsday, an article for Esquire by Mike McElroy. We have no time for you An article for New York Daily News by Robert Dominguez, FBI.gov, and Wikipedia. For a full list of our sources, visit lgtcpodcast.com. Any errors are, of course, ours, but please don't take our word for it. Go read their stuff. Oh my god, I'm gonna die. <laughs> Very concerned for you. Oh my god.